The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawkbox. Let's get into your headlines this morning. Well, the bulls are back in charge as major U.S. markets and the Russell Index hit fresh highs, with the Dow and S&P now marking their longest win streak since August last year. A call for cryptos, Bitcoin, Ethereum and Dogecoin all hit record levels as Tesla buys $1.5 billion in Bitcoin and announces plans to accept it as payment. Goldman Sachs raises its U.S. growth and stimulus forecast while airline stocks jump on a report. The relief plan earmarks more than $50 billion for the transportation sector. Oil scales a 30-month high, holding at pre-pandemic levels amid optimism over global demand recovery. And it's déjà vu in Congress. Donald Trump's second impeachment hearings kick off today in the Senate, with the former president accused of inciting January's Capitol Hill riots. So very good morning, everybody. Let's talk a little bit about the markets here, because the, the big headline, of course, this morning is all about Bitcoin, I would suggest, and about these uh, currencies that now it would seem Elon Musk has uh, basically given his backing to with this enormous uh, sounding investment of one and a half billion dollars here, uh, despite the fact that this is a currency, of course, that the ECB uh, has described as uh, funny. Um, the Indians look like they're about to ban and Janet Yellen has uh, suggested is mostly used for illicit funding. So there's a, an awful lot of opaqueness about the progress uh, formally and legitimately for this currency, but it hasn't stopped Elon Musk wading in, of course. And that in part reflects this broader grab for risk on assets at this point. We've had six days, effectively, where we've seen upside for equity markets here. And it, for, for those who get very nervous uh, about market tops, this all starts to smell a lot like those uh, parabolic moves you get towards the top of markets. But I'm not going to stand here and call it. And I think you'll find very few people who will actually tell you it is now time to ring the bell. But obviously, you do have to be very wary here that when you get these kind of accelerations, it may be symptomatic of a fact that we're starting to run into relatively thin air. But there you go. That's what the boards look like as we came to the close of the trading session in the United States. The other question you need to ask yourself as you get excited about drawing money out of your savings account to squeeze into the markets is what could bring this kind of move to an end. And it won't be Elon Musk or potentially Tim Cook if uh, RBC is correct, Apple, the next uh, big tech company that will move into the, uh, the Bitcoin space. We'll have to wait and watch. But it won't be those things that bring this bull run t- to an end. What it might be 
is the Treasury yield. Let's, let's just have a look here at the Treasury yield. Um, there is an argument that if we continue to see the yields rise for a couple of reasons here. One is that investors may start to sniff out uh, expectations around inflation, pushing prices higher, and they uh, try to get ahead of that by selling down their treasury positions here. You get the yields rising, of course, to reflect that inflationary expectation. That could slow the pace of ascent for the equity markets. The other reason uh, of course, that we, we could see this, is that the, the, the bond market vigilantes finally wake up from their long slumber and they say, we are not prepared to allow these governments to continue raising massive amounts of money in the markets without paying a higher interest rate. So keep a very weathered eye on this 10-year yield here. It's been very politely behaved. It's been very receptive to further borrowing but it is one of those canaries in the coal mine. And as you watch the 10-year, look at the, uh, um, uh, the, the whole spread you get between the 2s, 10s and the 30s just to see what the shape of this curve looks like. Because at the moment, the steepening of the curve is suggesting we will get something of a reflation uh, economic boom as we come out of the pandemic. But it also could be telling you other things about the market's willingness to continue to fund this new democratic government spending. So that's a quick wrap up of the uh, equity and the treasury position here. Steve, you're having a look at some of the other markets for us. Yeah, I'm just bemused by you, Jeff. How dare you look at history and try and say that's what's going to happen going forward potentially? Because, yes, we know that history uh, doesn't um, match, but it does rhyme, of course. But I think, I think you know, it's different this time, isn't it? Of course it's different this time. Bitcoin, all this euphoria is different this time. But anyway, let's have a look at a more traditional measure of the market. Uh, the Russell 2K was up 2.5% yesterday, six out of six sessions to the upside. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen, the Russell 2K is off its lows? I mean, what percentage above its lows do you think it is? Um, bearing in mind, the Nasdaq, for instance, is up 111% from its lows. Yeah, 137%. 137%. Good job we've uh, finished with the concerns about COVID and the economy, isn't it? Uh, or, ha or have we? Anyway, so that's what the Russell 2K has done. Uh, it's uh, above the 200-day moving average for you technical trashes out there for just a mere 136 straight sessions as well. Uh, it is the 11th all-time high of the Russell 2K of 2021. No euphoria there. Okay, let's move on to looking at WTI and Brent as well. The oil market also having a, a rather good time to the upside as well. Highest settlement since the 21st of January for WTI. 20th of January 2020. So over a year since we um, traded at this kind of level as well. And again, it seems to have taken out all the concerns about COVID and, and the slow economy and the lack of planes in the sky. I think what people are really concentrating on this price at the moment, Karen, is they are focusing on the fact that there are supply concerns and supply discipline. I just wonder how much supply discipline there will be with a 60 handle on Brent now. Good morning to you, Karen. Steve, good morning. Well, let's take a look at that hot asset class uh, that we've all been talking about and everyone else has been talking about overnight. And clearly that's around Bitcoin and what has transpired. Uh, this is uh, some of the big events that have played out in the overnight session. Uh, Bitcoin effectively surging about 10% to a record high after Tesla said it had invested around $1.5 billion 
in the cryptocurrency. So it will begin accepting some payments with the digital currency. The electric car makers stock also moving on the back of this. Now, the rally did help fuel a spike in some of the other cryptocurrencies as well. Uh, this is a big look at uh, the uh, price that we saw, 47000 on the Bitcoin price. Uh, the, the purchase price for Tesla, $1.5 billion payment to be accepted. And you can see Ethereum, also one of the other key trades uh, moving to some of the higher ranges that we saw in session as well. Uh, this is the chart. Uh, this is how it looks. And we've seen a, a lot of volatility in the price of late and huge movement for the last three months. And we talk about a three-month window, I think, on many assets at this point, because that's where we've seen the risk rally take place. So from the end of last year into this year, 183% higher on Bitcoin. And you can see just settling off some of the highs, but still very elevated. You can switch over this and take a look at uh, some of the other charts we've got for you too. Ethereum, you can see uh, the rally in contrast to the 183%. It's been even higher, 280% nearly is uh, the extent of the spike for the last three months. And Tesla stock also playing in the rally. We've seen gains around uh, some of the production targets, some of the appetite for electric cars, more sustainable investments, 100% high in the last three months. And you can see the stock in session yesterday also picking up some more action. Well, speaking to CNBC, Muddy Waters founder Carson Block said he doubts Tesla boss Elon Musk will receive much scrutiny from federal regulators over the move. Elon's pretty hard for the SEC to touch, right? And they weren't able to do really much of anything to him when he tweeted the fake buyout offer a few years ago at uh, $420. So, you know, in terms of does is can it rise the level of manipulation when Elon or Chamath tweet out that, hey, I'm long GameStop calls or something else or Bitcoin, Doge, go and buy. You know, I, I, that, I, that's a really, I, I doubt it. I, I have a hard time. I mean, even if that were anybody, but again, the SEC just does not have a record of success against Elon Musk. So fascinating. Uh, let's just spend a, a little moment on this. Um, the point around regulation, I think, is, is the one that um, I, I'm most interested in at this stage. Given that Janet Yellen has already expressed some reservations about the use of this for legitimate purposes, and we've also had um, uh, Madame Lagarde also describing this as a funny business, how far off can serious regulation be when it comes to the uh, use and application of this coinage? And I know the speculation uh, largely has been whether the central banks will then use that as an opportunity to launch their own digital currency that may be internationally convertible between the banks themselves and may have other business applications. But um, as I think about this story, I'm very minded of Peter Pan. There is something very Peter Panish about Elon Musk. But of course, that great line from Peter Pan is, I do believe in fairies. And if you believe in it hard enough, then maybe it will happen. In this case, I'm just not sure. Elon Musk may think committing 1.5 billion, which of course is a very small part of his overall wealth to this, 
helps to reinforce its legitimacy, but to my mind, I'm not convinced. It forces the hand of regulators, though, when you've now got the how fifth most valuable company accepting payments how does it uh, from force Bitcoin. The hand of, I don't see how it forces the hand of anybody. I think Just it because does. you get more people saying, oh, we think it's legitimate, it doesn't tell you anything about the origin of the coinage or the source well, or the original let me legitimacy. This out. You've got the fifth most valuable company that is also regulated by the SEC here, now accepting uh, payment in Bitcoin. So I think there is an ability for the SEC to cast an eye over this. I mean, you think about to what we were talking about with the financial excess around GameStop. The, the Fed didn't really want to look in that direction necessarily. But I think with this particular case, you do have regulators dragged back into the story. And they have been looking at digital coins, some sort of crypto coin and payment, trying to scramble and come up with their own. But if you look at what was buried in the detail of the Tesla result, they, they point out, this was the disclaimer, they believe that the Bitcoin holdings are highly liquid. However, digital assets may be subject to volatile market prices, which may be unfavorable at a time when we want or need to liquidate them. So it injects volatility in the earnings for Tesla, which is somewhat irresponsible. Well, you know, 1.5 billion may be spared change to Elon Musk, but not necessarily to Tesla investors. So the SEC does have an ability to get into this story and look at the regulation because of some of uh, the, the payments now being accepted and the disclaimer that is in the price. If you think about this story from another angle, we have covered companies that have been hedging out uh, some of their assets in the past and it's gone sure. badly wrong. They've lost out on uh, some of those investments. This is another way of looking at uh, hedging. And if it's gone so badly wrong on just using foreign exchange trades and other uh, regulated assets, you can see how it would go with Bitcoin and unregulated assets, Steve. Great debate, you two. I, I want to move on from the regulatory argument just to common sense. I want to, and, and which you, obviously it was common sense, but I mean, in terms of using this as, as you say, Karen, as a medium of exchange, accepting payment from this. And it's the same argument I had with Baroness Moan a couple of years ago uh, about when you build properties in Dubai and then you take payment uh, of Bitcoin. So just bear with me a second. Have you seen the new Roadster? It is stunning. The 2021 Roadster from Tesla is just a thing of beauty. It's basically the base price is going to be about 200,000 uh, bucks going up to, they think, about a quarter of a million bucks as well. So it's a lovely thing. It's about 200,000. But how much does Tesla make on each one of its cars? Well, we don't know how much it's going to make on its 2021 Roadster uh, um, yet because it hasn't come out. So what we have to do is look at history. And I've got the last, I don't know, 10, 20 quarters of Tesla in front of me now. And profit per vehicle has turned into a profit per vehicle in the last three quarters. And that's very good because, of course, there's always been questions about profitability at Tesla. But the profit per vehicle most recently is around about 3,200 bucks. OK, so 3,200 bucks is your profit margin on around about a £100,000 uh, $100, car at the moment. So around about 3%, possibly going up as 5 to 10%. And the gross margin is a bit higher as well. But when you're taking payment in something that's moving quite so aggressively, how can you preserve that profit margin on your PPV, your, your profit per vehicle? And the answer is you can't, because I've just gone back over the history and you did it brilliantly at the wall, Karen. Bitcoin on the March 13th last year was trading at 5,600 bucks. Then in September, 10,300. Then in December, 2,300, 23,000. Uh, and most recently, 46, 47,000 bucks now. Now, those kind of volatility movements work very well for you if you're accepting payment on the upside. But what if you were to get some form of oscillation and volatility to the downside? Your profit per vehicle will be sighed aggressively. And Elon Musk knows that as well. And you know the argument we had from Baroness Moan a couple of years ago when she said, oh, it's great. She goes, oh, don't worry. We convert straight into dollars straight away as soon as we've done the trade. 
To which I ask myself, Karen and Jeff, if you're going to convert straight to dollars as soon as you've done the trade, what on earth is the point of it anyway as a medium of exchange? All terrific questions. Um, we will continue the coverage uh, through the morning here. I think we're all fascinated by this story and what the next uh, twist and turn is in it. You're very welcome to get engaged, as you are already, I see, on uh, Twitter here. Steve, this one's for you and I, I think. Guys, I love your coverage, but you've been total boomers on crypto for years. Get with the programme. Thank you for the correspondence. Uh, we will continue to talk about it. Karen, I don't include you there. You may as well. I don't think we're all on opposite ends of the spectrum on this one. <laughs> uh, for CNBC Pro subscribers, head online. We've got a great story on there about uh, why RBC Capital Markets thinks a US tech giant might be the next company to snap up Bitcoin. It's not called lemon. It's not called orange but another fruit. I'll leave it to your imagination. Um, that story on CNBC.com now. Chinese regulators have reproached Tesla over consumer complaints from battery fires and other failures in its cars. The State Administration for Market Regulation said in a social media post, it and other watchdogs conducted interviews with Tesla recently. The officials have urged the U.S. car maker to obey Chinese laws and protect customer rights. According to the Wall Street Journal, Tesla said it has, quote, sincerely accepted the government guidance after, quote, deeply reflecting on shortcomings. The company also vowed to investigate the alleged car failures. There are concerns over the Clubhouse app in China, where authorities appear to have blocked access. The discussion app is reportedly being restricted by China's so-called Great Firewall. The app uses audio rather than text to let people chat in rooms, and unlike many Chinese apps, is uncensored. Still to come after the break, then, we're going to talk about the world's largest staffing company, Randstad. We'll have a look at the numbers. We'll find out how they fared during the pandemic. The CEO, Jacques Vanderbroek, will join, join us shortly with the full year numbers. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. anything more important or fascinating than looking at the jobs market at the moment and seeing the horrendous effects that COVID-19 has had. We talked last week, of course, about the extra 10 million people in the US who are still out of work since the pandemic as well. But very interesting looking at the likes of Randstad as well. Uh, they are talking today uh, about volumes. And this is very positive. Volumes in January reaching last year's pre-pandemic level. Uh, but having said that, on the other side of the coin, gross margin expects to be modest lower 
sequentially due to seasonality, but there are margin effects here and gross margin down 19.5% in the fourth quarter, down 50 basis points due to mix effects, stable pricing climate, uh, fully a gross margin of 19.2%, down 80 basis points year on year. So you've got something on both sides of the coin there. And that is why we shall now speak to Jacques van der Broek, who is the CEO of Randstad uh, and joins us now. Jacques, always a pleasure to speak to you. Um, look, two Same sides of the coin. One, if you could address the margin issue. And two, if you could address the fact that, very encouragingly, we're back to pre-pandemic levels in January. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, fortunately, the margin is not an issue for us. Uh, it's also mostly because of the perm business. Uh, that is, a fee business goes directly into our margin. That is still depressed, minus 19%, uh, but it was uh, minus 30 in Q3, so also a bounce back there. So the margin as such for us is not an issue. The underlying margin for our main temporary contingent business is, is flat, 10 basis points uh, less. So that doesn't keep us awake at night. And uh, and then there's the other part of the coin, which is definitely that we are uh, back to pre-pandemic levels, as you, as you saw in our press release. So happy with that. Jacques, is there something terrible coming down the line? Because one of the great successes in Germany in the great financial crisis was Kurzarbeit. So we learned, Rishi Sunak learned in this country, others learned elsewhere, and furlough schemes have kept the huge number of people employed that might have otherwise lost their jobs as well. Are we waiting for something much worse to happen when those furlough schemes end? Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, interesting. Uh, and uh, There is, it's certainly in Europe as opposed to the US, uh, where everybody was unemployed quite quickly. Here you still see uh, quite a few people in Kurzarbeit. By the way, just to mention it, not in our business. All our colleagues are fully back to work, so that's good. Um, there, there's an underlying scarcity, so so that is still happening. But short term, there might be uh, there might be layoffs. Uh, but then well, I'm optimistic that people will get back quickly. Although maybe not in the same sector. That's what we're seeing. So our volumes are back to last year, uh, but in different sectors. So of course the whole event space, hospitality, leisure, that's still flat, and that will only bounce back once we've had the vaccine. So let's say summer and beyond. Um, so yeah, it might be a few tough months for people. Second half of the year, I'm optimistic about people getting jobs, but they probably need to reskill to a large extent and get to other sectors and other jobs. Yeah, which is what I wanted to pick up on, Jacques. I mean, we're, we're spending a lot of time on the program discussing ESG and the green future. To what extent are you now um, struggling to find employees to go into companies to fulfill that mandate? Yeah, currently that is okay-ish, uh, but there is definitely sort of a scenario out there where Europe, let's say Europe, would embark upon an investment scheme huh, in green, in infrastructure, digital infrastructure, not finding new people. And at the same time, uh, people being unemployed uh, and, and un unable to change sectors. So um, I think massive private-public partnership uh, and massive reskilling should fill that gap, including immigration. As you might know, I've been advocating immigration for a long time into Europe, already some five years. We've got to be short of people, so we also need people uh, with ready-to-go skills from outside of Europe. Um, we just saw a shift in carbon credit trading uh, out of London uh, to Amsterdam. Um, can I ask you about financial, service, financial services specifically? What trends are you observing around financial services positions, given uh, we still have this ongoing question of whether London is going to get recognition from Brussels? Yeah, well... 
um, eh, uh, we shouldn't have done Brexit. Let's let's start there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not seeing it in our business. What I do see is the UK is our weakest market, uh, has been for quite some time. We do see a bounce back slightly, but uh, yeah, I'm not optimistic about uh, Britain's uh, economics in the short term. Uh, there's no massive shift that I'm seeing in my orders at the moment. Uh, and as you know, the financial sector hires IT specialists and less financial specialists. That's a big sector uh, change that is going on there. Jacques, I was just pouring into your results uh, around gross margin, and you point out that temporary staffing had a, a negative 10 basis point uh, impact on gross margin, but there was a bigger hit from the, the permanent placements having a 30 basis point negative impact. I'm curious as we see the rehiring and lots of talk about rising minimum wages and all sorts of different aspects around staffing and equitable jobs that are brought back. Could more of the jobs be temporary also given the lack of visibility than permanent at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. By the way, back to the 10 basis points is mostly mixed. So what we see is our in-house business eh, where we are on site with large, uh, large uh, users of business in manufacturing and logistics. Um, that comes in with a lower gross margin, but it has a high conversion, so it turns into uh, re good results for us. Um, yes, we've seen after almost every crisis that afterwards uh, penetration rate uh, bumped up uh, because, uh, as you say, companies are still uncertain about the future. Uh, and then you still have markets like Italy and Spain who are still below European levels of penetration. So uh, they're doing well for us, uh, and, and we're optimistic about those markets. Yeah. Jacques, significant questions still hanging over the, the travel and leisure sector, and you alluded to that before about uh, some and beyond the, the type of recovery we could witness. But we're digesting news around uh, what sort of COVID tests will be required around travel, hotel quarantines, and whether vaccine passports will be necessary. Some countries even questioning whether they're going to be welcoming tourists this summer. What's your feeling if uh, the uh, window cor or the travel corridor for summer is shut this year for some European countries? Do you have concerns about the economic scarring for the tourism sector, weathering a second year of closures over the, the peak season? Yeah, that's uh, the whole crystal ball thing that has to do with the speed of vaccination. If I, we're quite involved in many countries on vaccination, and unfortunately, due to the availability of vaccines, it's all going slower than expected. Uh, UK a bit quicker, but but then still, if you do the math, uh, I think we would need the better part of the summer to get everybody vaccinated. Uh, but what I think is more uh, interesting for airlines is not so much the holiday traveler, it's very much the business traveler and, and what they've learned from COVID. Uh, will they still travel as much as they used to do or will they tone it down just because of a different way of working? I think that is more of a long-term worry. And uh, yeah, I'm not optimistic about uh, the tourism sector, so to say. I don't think anybody's going to take any risks for any super spreader events one, uh, um, before everybody's vaccinated or at least 70%. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.